Last week, we began a series called Back to the Basics. These beliefs are essential, simple, and pivotal. Now, this sermon series is based on something called the Apostles' Creed. And if you aren't familiar with that, it's actually printed on the back of our bulletins. If you've never seen those words, those words are there for you. And creed just comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. And those are the first two words we started talking about last week. And today we're preaching on the next two words, in God. Now, I promise we're going to cover more than two words per week. We're going to speed up the pace a little bit. But I want to lay a really good foundation so that later on uh, we're not confused. Um, But this series is not about preaching the creed. We are preaching from the Bible. And it's sometimes said that creeds cannot be found anywhere in the Bible. But just within the first five books, we actually see a confession of faith. It's called the Shema Israel, and it's come from, it comes from the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy. And this is the confession of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God even commands them to recite those words when they stay at home, when they're away, when they lie down, or when they get up. This is actually a long-standing tradition to recite this confession of faith, this creed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that confession is the center of Jewish faith. When God freed the Jews from slavery in Egypt, he led them to Mount Sinai and he said, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, out of slavery, and you shall have no gods before me. God demands them to worship him and him alone. Now, sometimes in our culture, we think that there are basically two options when it comes to God. There is belief in one God, monotheism, and there is uh, belief in no God, atheism. Uh, But that has actually not been assumed throughout human history. Many cultures, many nations have believed in many gods. So the ancient, ancient Israelites actually were around neighbors that worshipped gods like Baal and Molech and and Asherah. And when they worshiped those gods, they weren't taking it lightly. They were so committed to the worship of those gods, they would sacrifice their own children to those gods. I'm not kidding. That that was actually a part of their worship of those many gods. And in the time of Jesus, that actually does not just disappear magically. In the time of Jesus, the Romans believed in many gods. And they would say a good Roman citizen worships the gods. You don't have to worship one in particular. You don't have to, you you can keep the god that you have in your nation. Just make sure to worship some of them. We need to keep all of them appeased. They even thought that those who didn't worship the many gods were just bad citizens. They weren't good Romans. But then Rome captured and and conquered a nation called Israel. And they hesitantly allowed them to worship one God. Because look, those Jews who only worship their God, Yahweh, they're self-contained. They don't tell people about their faith. So we can let them worship just one God. But 
Around 2,000 years ago, these people called Christians, many of whom were Jews, only worshipped one God, but they did not stay silent about that belief. They actually shared that belief with anyone who, who would hear it. They shared it with men and women, slaves and free people, uh, people who were rich and people who were poor. They would tell anybody. And the Romans couldn't believe this because they, they even called the, the Christians atheists. They don't believe in the many gods and they refuse, even if we torture them, even if we kill them, they refuse to worship other gods. Okay, why does that all matter? First of all, we live in a global world where people around us do not believe what we believe. I actually uh, confronted this a few weeks ago with Allison. We were at the Clay Pit, that Indian restaurant right down here. Uh, our waiter came up. He started speaking to us, and we could tell he was from Ireland. And we, we had just been in England for a year, so, so we asked him, are you from Ireland? And he said, yes. Like I usually get asked if I'm new, new, from New Zealand or Australia. Y'all got it right. And we were like, we're pretty cultured, so yeah. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Um, but we had actually just been there, uh, more recently than he had been. And I just, I just thought this was amazing. We have an Irish waiter giving Indian food to two Texans who had been to Ireland before him. I mean, that's the world we're living in. We cannot assume, we do not have the luxury of assuming everybody around us believes what we believe or thinks like we think. We've got to know what we believe. We've got to know why we believe in one God because we don't have the luxury of, of assuming everybody believes what we do. The second thing is that in the Bible, if, if you're not really familiar with it and you're not really, you're kind of new to Christianity, you'll read about the gods. And this will kind of be confusing because if you're reading along and you know that Christians say they only worship one God, what's the deal with all this talk of gods? And we'll explain that in a second. But the third thing that's so important is that later on in our creed, we'll say that we believe in God's Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. I was actually meeting with someone who's kind of new to church, and, and they sat down, and I said, just bring any questions you have. And the first few questions, he said, okay, so tell me what you think about the Big Bang, evolution, and the multiverse. I was like, do you have any other questions? <laughs> and he said, well, I'm kind of confused about the whole Trinity thing. And I was like, let's go back to the first questions. That's, that's easier, definitely. Um, no, this is really important. We say in our creed, we believe in one God and his son and his spirit. And I think that this passage and this letter that it comes from is so helpful to us, okay? So I want to turn back there. We're, we'll be in 1 Corinthians 8, and we're on page 928 in the Black Bibles and the pew racks in front of you. If you don't have one with you, uh, you can turn there, page 928. First Corinthians 8, and I want to start in verse 4. So Paul's writing to these Christians who used to be pagans, who used to worship many gods, and they don't want to worship idols anymore. They don't want to worship the many gods. But when they would go to the supermarket, there was this great meat on sale that they would want to buy for dinner. But they realized this meat 
came from an animal which was sacrificed to idols. So they wrote a letter to Paul and they said, okay, are we able to do that? Is that going to make us fall back into idolatry? We want to be clear. And this is Paul's answer. He says, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is, one, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, and since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. But food, he says, doesn't bring us near to God. We are no worse if we don't eat and no better if we do. Okay, I think this is so important. He's saying, look, an idol is nothing. You, you find a tree, you carve the, the wood, and, and you turn it into an idol, but there's no divine nature to that idol. You're not worshiping the one true God. So if food is sacrificed to that idol, and, and you know that an idol is nothing, you can eat the food. But be sure, if your conscience is weak, it's defiled. Don't bother eating the food because it's not going to help your spiritual life. It could lead you back to idolatry. But here's the thing that's so important about Paul. He roots that in the, the phrase that he grew up saying as a Jew. There is no God but one. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one God. There is only one being who deserves that label. So an idol is nothing. And if you know an idol is nothing, you can eat the food. But then what's crazy is in the next sentence, he says, as indeed, there are many gods and many lords. I mean, it's so confusing. It seems like he contradicts himself in the very next sentence. But I think Bible translators actually really help us out with this, okay? So if you look back in the passage, you see God, capital G, capitalized. Capital G, God. And he says there's no God but one. But even if there are so-called gods, and, he, and, and the Bible translators even use quotes, there are many gods and many lords. For us, there is but one, capital G, God. And I think in the, in the next two chapters, he explains what those gods really are. So if you look on the next page, page 929, I think he explains this a little bit more clearly. In verse 14 at the very bottom of the page, he says, My dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? There is one loaf. We who are many are one body. For, all we, share, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. Now, 
This is very strange to us because we probably have grown up in a world where there's only the material world and there's not much of a spiritual world, but Paul did not see, see things that way. He saw a physical world and a spiritual world all wrapped up um, and, and uh, interlocking with our world. And he believed in real spiritual beings called demons. And I know that this may sound so strange to us, um, but, but and, and even myself, I struggled in, in college with this belief. I had never had any experience with this, with angels or demons or any of that. And I thought, man, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. This is some ancient belief that he has that, that we need to discard. But I think this is so important. I've, I've recently in my life talked with people who are Christians and not Christians who've told me about their experience, experiences with demonic forces. And I'm telling you, it is real. They made me go back and read, reread scripture for what it says, that these forces, these evil beings are really out there. I don't know if you know this, but the Academy Award winner, William Friedkin, uh, actually directed the movie The Exorcist. And uh, that was decades ago. But in 2017, he, he filmed a documentary of a real exorcism. I'm not joking. He actually filmed it. And in the interview of the filmmaker, he said he had no idea what to expect. He, he, was, he was not expecting anything real. But this is what he said after he did the documentary. He said, after I witnessed this exorcism and after I met the priest who did it, I had no doubt that what he was doing was giving of himself and his skills to help people who were in trouble who could not find any other help anywhere for their issue. I mean, I was blown away by this. That someone who is not a believer, who is, is not someone who believes in God, filmed an exorcism and said, something really happened there. And it's led me back to this belief that these spiritual forces are really out there and Paul is, is worried that worshiping other gods is not neutral. When, <laughs> this sentence just sounds so strange to modern ears, but he says, the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And what, what he ends up saying throughout this whole letter is that our worship of God is exclusive. Now, I know for a lot of us, just the, the idea of using the word exclusive uh, sounds uh, arrogant. It sounds like Christians think they know uh, everything about God and, and that we exclude all other religions. But I think that's, this is so important from Paul's letter. Um, we've, we've sometimes grown up with this idea that um, every religion just knows a little bit of truth about God. I don't know if you've heard this analogy before of the, the blindfolded men and the elephants, that one, one man is blindfolded and he's touching a part of the elephant, and a, another blindfolded man is touching another part of the elephant, and they all say different things. They have no idea that it's an elephant, but they all get a partial truth. And some people conclude from that analogy, that's just what religion is, right? Uh, Christians get part of the truth, Hindus get part of the truth, Buddhists get part of the truth. But I actually think that analogy breaks down because it's told from a perspective of someone who sees the whole elephant. It's told from the perspective of someone who can see that, no, there really is one creature and the people who are blindfolded don't see the elephant for 
what it really is. And what Christians are saying is, not because we're so special or smart, but we really see how God truly is. We don't know everything about God, but we see because he's taken the blindfold off us. And so when we say something like, and when Paul says something like, you can only worship the one true God, it is exclusive. We can't worship other gods because we're going to get caught up in stuff that is really bad for us. Paul says, flee from idolatry. This is why when when we recite this creed together and it says, I believe in God, we refuse to worship other gods. Now, I know for a lot of modern ears, this is kind of strange. Like none of us have little tiny statues in our closets that we burn incense to, or I I haven't done an animal sacrifice recently, so it's kind of foreign to me Uh, by recently, I mean ever. Um, This is is just, uh, just to be clear, um, this is so strange to us. It's so foreign to us. Because we, we think we don't have little idols, we don't, ha- we don't worship other gods, we don't believe in these other divine beings, but this is so important. Our modern culture, even if we don't have little statues, we still have gods. We still have the god of money, the god of power, the god of sexual fulfillment, the god of social status, and we offer sacrifices to those gods. I guarantee that sometime in your life, you have wanted to make sacrifices for these gods. And you don't believe in real divine beings out there, but you want the God of money to give you what what you want. And you want the God of power to give you more power. And you want the God of sexual fulfillment to fulfill you. But what Paul says is, no, there's, there's only one true God. He demands exclusive worship. When we say, I believe in God, that means when we're asked to sacrifice for those gods, we have to say no. Because we're going to get caught up in stuff that Paul warns us about. So he says, he doesn't just say remain neutral to idolatry. He says, flee from it. Now, uh, Paul said something that for a Jew was very strange at the time. So I want you to open up your Bibles again because we, we read by it very quickly. But it's in chapter 8, verse 8. He says, excuse me, chapter 8, verse 6. He says, for us, there is but one God. And that seems familiar. That's, that's the Shema. There, there's... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one God. But he says, yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Flip, flip the page over to chapter 12, page 931. This is amazing. Chapter 12 and verse 4. Paul writes, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Okay. 
This is where we get to the part of the creed that is uh, the part I wanted to avoid with my friend at coffee. Somehow, Paul looks at this phrase, the Shema, there is the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and somehow he sees Jesus in it. He doesn't say there are two gods. He doesn't say there are two lords. He doesn't say that there are two spirits. He says there is one God, the Father, one Lord Jesus Christ, and one Spirit. Somehow he maintains these things all together at once. There is one God. You cannot worship Baal. You cannot worship Molech. You cannot worship Asherah. You cannot worship the God of power or the God of money or the God of sex. You can only worship one God. And yet that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And at this point of the sermon, I really want to offer an analogy to help explain it, right? God is like a committee. You know, there are three people with one agenda. Or God is like water in three different modes, ice and liquid and steam. Or God is like someone who speaks and there's a speaker and there's the word and the breath that makes the word possible. But every single one of those break down. God is way too mysterious to be explained away. But one of my favorite sermons is a sermon on the Trinity by Mike Higton. And I just want to read this quote. I think it's worth reading. This is what he says. There is God, the one to whom we pray, the one to whom we look, to whom we call out, the one who made the world and who loves all that has been made. And then there is the God by our side. God once more, the one with whom we pray. God in the life of this man who shares our life, this man who lives the life of God by our side, who pours out his life in love for us. And then there's the God in our hearts, God in our guts, the stream in which we dip our toes, the stream in which we long to swim, the stream which filled the sun and can fill us too and bear us in love back to our source. I don't know if you noticed, but he only uses words with one syllable. In that entire sermon, and it's way longer than that, he only uses words with one syllable, and he's talking about the Trinity. We always associate this doctrine with something that only scholars can get and only scholars can understand, but I love his whole point here. The Trinity is the God for all Christians with any amount of education. The Trinity is the God of the Apostles' Creed from start to finish. The Trinity is the one true God that loves you. The Trinity is the God that you can know even if you don't fully understand that God. The Trinity is the only God that we can worship. That's why this foundation at the beginning of this series matters so much. Because this is something that we don't often realize, but people have died for this. People have been persecuted for belief in this creed. If we were in another time in another place, not in the U.S., not in 2019, we could die for this. We could be persecuted for this. We could be made second-class citizens for this. And Christians have over and over and over through the centuries because they believe that worship is exclusive. We cannot worship any other 
gods. So when those gods come knocking and they say, I'll give you money, I'll give you power, I'll give you social status, I'll fulfill your sexual life, we tell them no. We worship the Trinity and none other. And I know that in a global world, this is very hard to explain to others. I don't know if I could have explained it to our Irish waiter. But if someone asks you what you believe, I think a really good resource is the very thing we say at the end of our services. This is what we believe, and we may not fully understand it. We may not be scholars or have a PhD to explain every single line, but this is so important. This is what we believe. It's who we are. I think the best theology about our God is mostly heard in songs and poems. And you may not have noticed this, but Ben actually picked songs, all wrapping up that language of the Trinity in those songs so that we would be worshiping God in this way. I just love some of these lyrics. One, one person who wrote, writes hymns, Francis Ridley Havergal, wrote, O love that chose, O love that died, O love that sealed and sanctified, all glory, glory be, O covenant triune God to thee. One worship leader, Ann Dutton, wrote, These eternal glorious three are of equal dignity. They co-equally possess the Godhead's undivided bliss. Subsisting in one nature still, they have but one essential will. They're in love and in counsel too, and one in all the work they do. The brilliant African theologian Augustine once said, In that highest trinity, one is as much as the three together, nor are two anything more than one, and they are infinite in themselves. So both each are in each, and all in each, and each and all, and all, and all, and all are one. I can't wrap my brain around these lyrics. I cannot fully understand God who is both three and one at the same time, but I can worship him. I can refuse to worship other gods and bow down to them. I can say no when they come knocking because I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's what we believe. And that's how we live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to flee from idolatry. Help us to flee from all our modern gods, even if we don't believe they're out there. Help us to flee from them. Because we know we're going to get caught up in stuff, demonic forces that we, we need to resist. You are the one true God, but there are spiritual beings out there that want the worst for us. Help us to fight against them to resist them, to never, ever, ever, ever worship any other God but you. 
We recognize the mystery of the words we've been saying this morning, that you are Father, Son, and Spirit. You are three in one. You are the Trinity. Our minds cannot cannot grasp who you really are. You reveal yourself to us, but our minds are too finite to understand it completely. So we pray for you to show us who you really are and to worship you and you alone. We pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.